2: One, two, three, four. Good morning and welcome in to the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. I'm National Recruiting Analyst for Tech alongside 24-7 Sports Director of Scouting, Andrew Ivins. And thank you for joining us today, Tuesday, October 3rd, oh one Central Time. Eventful week, Drew. Eventful weekend. Guess what? It is producer Lance's last week with the boys, with the Oyster Boys. He is going to take a job with the New York Stock Exchange. It's gonna oversee their podcast. Hey, land of opportunity here working with the Oyster Boys. Sometimes you got to step up. It's got a haircut this week.
0: It's going to get the eyebrows done. It's going to get a new suit. Our boy, Lance, how are we feeling? Congratulations, my man. No, I appreciate it. I said to you, Cooper, before we pressed record that, you know, I need to uh I need to start looking a little nicer now. You know, I've had the luxury of the last uh, three years here 24/7 working solely from home. I don't have that luxury anymore. I won't or I won't have that luxury anymore when I start this new position. So uh got to get cleaned up a little bit. It'll, it'll be sort of annoying. I think at the beginning, I'll have to shave more often. I'll have to get my hair cut more often. I'll have to get up earlier to make sure I'm dressed and ready to go for the day. But uh, I think it'll definitely be worth it. I'm excited for this new opportunity, although I am sad it is bittersweet. I will definitely miss uh, everyone at 24-7. I'll miss this podcast and uh, I'll miss working with you guys. Well,
1: Lance, mm-hmm. get, Lance, give us the elevator pitch on on the podcast because it sounds pretty cool, right? You're going to interview people that are- Yeah, so it's,
0: uh, so it's not, you know, while it is with, with the Stock Exchange and uh, specifically a company called Intercontinental Exchange, which actually owns the Stock Exchange, um, it's not like a financial podcast, right? Like we're not going to go on and tell you, oh, you know, invest in this stock or this stock is falling or this stock is you know rising you know here's the latest ones to check out um uh, it's more about storytelling and you bring on heads of industry you bring on various celebrities and they come on tell their stories how they got to where they are uh talk about if they are in industry talk about what's next and whatever field they're working in uh so it's really cool and i'm really excited to uh get away from sports. i've always been in sports even before 24 7 i was uh working as a graphic designer for a sports merchandising company so I've always been in sports. Um, excited to become more versatile, or versatile, depending on how you pronounce it. Um, and I'm excited to uh, to take on this new adventure in in the Big Apple.
2: I hope we see you in like two years. Your hair is grown out, completely slicked back. You look like Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah.
0: Well, I'm gonna say maybe I'll maybe that's that'll that'll be me. Who knows? Maybe this could one day parlay into a. Uh, you'll see me as like this high profile. Uh, I don't even know what they're called. Stockbroker, as I'm ringing in with my thousand-dollar two-piece suits and my uh, slicked-back hair, as I'm Love on the phone saying, "You're fired! You're fired! You're fired!" <laughs> sell, sell, sell. Who? Who is? Uh, do you have your first guest lined up for the podcast yet? I don't. I haven't even gotten started or anything like that. I know, obviously, the initial first couple of days I'm sure are an onboarding process. I mean, you know, that's t- TBD. Obviously, I haven't started yet, and I don't start uh, for couple weeks but um i don't i don't know i don't know what do you think about greg Schiano having him on the podcast sense. i mean yeah, I'd, I'd, love a heavy if hitter. You, I'd love if you guys had him on the podcast moving <laughs> forward uh, i would definitely listen not that i won't listen but i because i will but i would definitely listen i'd listen to that one multiple times um but i don't know how well he fits with the podcast i'm going to but who knows maybe there's an maybe there's an angle who knows? Maybe he's got a little financial sense to him. Yeah, All right, know, let's
2: get yeah. to it. Drew, we got Team of the Week. We got Freshman of the Week. We're going to talk about USC. We're going to talk about Brock Bowers. Is there another Brock Bowers out there? That is a uh, – yeah, that's it's going to be really difficult to find. But, Drew, you want to lead off – how about Coop's National Championship pick two weeks ago? Just wear the yeah. egg on the face, man. Sometimes you got to take a step back and you got to say, hey, am I too close to it? Is there too much purple and gold in my blood? LSU was my pick. I think I came on this podcast, what, two weeks ago after LSU lost to Florida State. I think it was week three after they beat Mississippi State. And I asked a question, right now, who would you pick to win the national championship? And I said, well, you know, LSU's sitting out there at one loss. I like the way they played against Mississippi State. The offense is trending up. I did not expect them to give up 56 points and over 700 yards to Ole Miss. Drew, you watched that game. I watched that game. I had my parents in town. My dad was absolutely disgraced, very embarrassed. And uh, as a Louisianian and an LSU graduate, so was I. It happens, but 56 points. I'll tell you this. From that opening drive, I don't know if you watched that. I mean, Ole Miss went all the way down the field. LSU stops on the first three downs. They go for it on fourth down. They end up getting seven on their first drive. It just felt like Okay, these guys are going to be on their heels the entire game. It felt like Lane Kiffin really kind of had Matt House down to a T, and that was it. I mean, it was kind of like whoever had the ball last, LSU. If you didn't watch the game, had a chance there at the end, Jaden Daniels, incomplete pass to to Chris Hilton, who actually had an opportunity to make the catch, but it didn't hit me until maybe that last drive, Andrew, where it's like, even if LSU does find a way to win this game, they are clearly not the team that I thought they were, and defensively, like butter. I mean, it was like a seven-on-seven Big 12 matchup of years ago that we've seen in, like, the pride of the SEC and the SEC playing defense. I mean, just throw it out the window. That game was high-octane. Neither team could stop each other, and at the end of the day, credit to Ole Miss for getting the job done, but it looked like two adequate to above-average teams, right? I mean, it really, at the end of the day. And not championship caliber because you can't stop anybody. Basketball on grass,
1: right? <laughs> I mean, it, it was,
2: was a- it, it was entertaining for sure, but it was just like, man, we it, LSU throughout the day. Did they even told? I don't, I don't know if they had more than three stops throughout well, the entire game.
1: Let's spin it forward. What do you what do you think the key issue is for LSU? The back seven, and I and I bring that up because I think LSU, and I've I've teased this in the past. I really like their defensive back class here in the 2024 cycle so i guess my my offering to you would be i think the secondary has a chance to get better in the years coming now i don't know what's going to happen with matt house i don't know what you know what who's going to come in who's going to leave but we saw it in the florida state game and then i think we saw it this past saturday in oxford but secondary just isn't up to par
2: I think the defensive line's pretty skinny too, you know, outside of Mason Smith, who has clearly not returned to form yet coming off ACL. Makai Wingo has been really good this year. Savion Jones, he's just kind of been there. They brought in a couple, a couple transfers. Ovia Gofu from from Texas, Braden Swinson from Oregon. Omar Spades comes in at the linebacker position from Oregon State. He's been banged up. The secondary, they just kind of had to piece together, just like they did last year. And I, I didn't think they really had the parts last year, but I thought they overachieved. This year, I feel like they have more in terms of what they have at every level, and they're underachieving in a really big way. Now, listen, Jamar Kane left, former defensive line coach, a guy that they're paying a lot of money to come over from Oklahoma, USC. He leaves for the Denver Broncos. They bring in Jimmy Lindsey from South Carolina. He has a health issue. He's out, so they don't. They don't have a defensive line coach. They have John Jancic as an analyst. He steps in now. They bring in Pete Jenkins, longtime uh, defensive line aficionado, who has been around that program. Edwards run, so they bring him in now. In what are we week five, week six? I think it's just been it's been a lack lack of continuity. And then you look at the second level, like every year with LSU, outside of the last couple years, they've had that guy defensively. They've had that guy in the middle, whether it be Patrick Queen, whether it be Devin White. They've been very, very talented at that position. In the secondary, they've had that guy pretty much every year. They're DBU. They have one, two, or three guys. They don't have that guy. They bring in former five-star Denver Harris from Texas A&M. He has to acclimate to the culture. Now he's getting his feet wet on the field. Outside of that, with Terrence Welch, gets a little bit of run. Andre Sam comes over as a transfer. Zai Alexander comes over as a transfer. Aston Stamps, who we like. We like the developmental upside, but was a high three-star for us. He's getting some run. We haven't seen JV and Toviano yet. Deuce Chestnut didn't even travel this past week. And Greg Brooks, with an unfortunate found with a brain tumor at the beginning of the season, right? So it's been a lot of things. I'm not making any excuses. They don't seem as talented as they've been from a top-end talent standpoint on this roster defensively. It's strange to me. It's kind of flipped. Offensively, their offensive line used to be this big vulnerability, it felt like. Like it was just kind of like they piece it together. Now, to me, that's the strength of their roster outside of their receiver room with neighbors and Brian Thomas. They got a really good quarterback plan with with Jaden Daniels, who's taking a big step. Garrett Nussmeyer's next. Ricky Collin's behind that, the running back room. you got Logan Diggs, Caleb Jackson, John Emery, like offensively, I like them. They put up however many points forty nine points this past weekend. The arrows pointing up there. They have taken a significant step back. Wit weeks. I'd love to see get some more run. They had to dumb it down for Harold Perkins, who they started as off ball linebacker. They call him a C-ball, get ball type of guy at the end of the season. Like, that's such a bad thing when he won games and took them over by by himself. I don't understand it. There seems to be a little bit of – there's no identity there. Then in terms of the lack of execution assignment football, they missed over 30 tackles this week. Over 30. You know, and then Brian Kelly comes out and says, well, it's, you know, new faces, new place. Playing a lot of young guys. You won 10 games last year. You got a $100 million contract. You got a defensive coordinator that makes $2 million. It's not an excuse. Especially you're going to throw away the best offense they've had since 2019 in a national championship year. I don't know. I don't think they're as talented. I, I like the fact they got Andre Evans. I like the fact they got Jeremiah Hughes, Ryan Yates last year. I'm missing some other guys. They got some pieces there, but they're not like – that That defensive line to me and that front seven is typically the nucleus of that team, and they don't have any killers. They got Band-Aids. And the other part is, like, I'd love to see Deshaun Womack get some run. Your defense is compromised. You gave up 700 yards. You gave up 56 points in an SEC West game on the road. I don't want to hear this thing about – Deshaun Womack's still learning his position. I don't want to hear this about Whit Weeks is still learning how to play linebacker. Whit Weeks played all three phases in high school. He was a quarterback. He was a running back. He was a receiver. He was a linebacker. Any return kicks. You can't. You you can't tell me that this guy can't figure it out. You know, get I, creative. Just, do something. I mean, it's just. I, I, you know, well, if what if are you, we doing? If you think the D line's the
1: issue, or one of the issues. You look at that LSU recruiting class right now, ranked number 10, there there is no blue-chip pass rusher in that group, which is a bit surprising. I I didn't even realize that until I, uh, you know, scrolled through the list. Again, I like what they got coming in the secondary. I think Klaas Dobbins buzzed him last
2: night. Can I say something? Let me get this off my chest. My biggest concern was when Brian Kelly got hired was that he was going to slip into – the habit of we are going to become a developmental program, which he became, I would say, a very big proponent of at Notre Dame. That's kind of who they were, right? They would develop players. They were a very good developmental program. That same program had a ceiling when they got into that arena of the college football playoff. When they got into that 1%, they were exposed. The beauty of LSU is you don't have to recruit that way. It doesn't have to be that way. Never should when LSU line up, should another team, I don't care if it's Georgia, Alabama, be bigger, physical, faster than them. That, that has to be the standard at LSU. That just shouldn't be acceptable. And guess what? I really like what they did year one at LSU. They did a really good job. They outperformed their expectations. They did a really good job on the recruiting trail. And, Drew, you mentioned it. They're number 10 right now. This is a program that should be in the mix for a top five recruiting class every single year. And I go I go out and I say it a lot. There is a big difference between number four and number 10. Ask Dabo Sweeney. You want to be in the mix? Then you got to be in that top five group. That's really the, kind of the way that I feel about it. And, Drew, you said it. Like, from a defensive line standpoint, Collage Cobbins, we got an edge back into the top two, four, seven. He's, he's at number uh, at, at number two, three, five. I think he's more of a weak side backer. Could play off ball. Correct. Yeah, and I think yeah. he has at, at, at Destrohan. Point being is this is a program that has built their identity on the defensive line of scrimmage.
1: Right. And I think we maybe didn't realize it two months ago, but – Losing out on Colin Simmons, probably a little bit bigger deal than we thought.
2: For sure. And the other point is, it's weird to me. What used to be weaknesses for this program have turned into strengths, quarterback, offensive line, tight end depth. Yeah. And what used to be foundations of continuity, all of a sudden are vulnerabilities.
1: All right, can so we get my, I yeah, can go ahead. my my team of the week here because you brought up the difference between 10 and 4 in the recruiting rankings, right? You, you you mentioned that there's a significant gap. So what every Tuesday we have team of the week. We're in week five. My team of the week is Kentucky. Okay. Team that never in the top ten of the, the recruiting rankings. Uh, but Kentucky, I mean, takes it to Florida 33 to 14. I don't know how much of that game you saw, Cooper. Ray Davis runs for 280 yards, three touchdowns. I've been marinating on this game for a little bit. And what Mark Stoops has built, I think, in Lexington is beyond impressive. And you go back to 2022, the 2022 cycle, I would think the average college football fan would not realize that Kentucky signed the number 14 ranked recruiting class. I think the year before that, they're in, they're in the 20s. I think from a developmental standpoint, I mean, man, they squeezed the most out of those guys there. And I guess my question to you is, if you're not going to sign in the top 10, I mean, the this, this, this scheme has to be Dialed in, correct? Like you, you, you have to put your your players in position to succeed. Am am I wrong there? I mean, it sounds obvious.
2: Well, when you say like that, for sure. I mean, that's the that's the goal of every coach. I think Kentucky does a phenomenal job of they know who they are. They don't go outside of that, right? Especially from a recruiting geographical standpoint as well. And they know kind of who they are in the pecking order, and they don't get in battles where they don't feel like they. They're going to spend a lot of time, a lot of resources, if they don't feel like they can win that recruitment. If that's what you're asking. I mean, like, yeah, I know, you know, a couple of guys that I know you're going to allude to here in a second, but like those are all smart investments in terms of the recruitments, you know, and guys like Deion Walker, Afari, Keaton Wade, right, over the last couple of years that we've seen. And those guys have kind of been pillars for them.
1: Right. And And that's why they're my team of the week. They know who they are. They enter the battles that they think they can win. And then when those kids, kids get on campus, and sure, there's been some washouts. Keontae Goodwin no longer there. Uh, but for a large part, over the course of the four quarters, I mean, it, it, it was guys that Kentucky had scouted and invested a ton of time in making plays. Deion Walker, like you said. Initially, I mean, he's rocking number zero. I was like, Who is this guy? And then you, you pull up, pull up pull out the phone. You're like, oh well, top two, four, seven defensive lineman out of Detroit. I, I remember Kentucky battling for him. I was reading some uh, like long term NFL draft outlook and and he's already been flagged as a guy to to keep an eye on for what the twenty twenty-six draft when he could come out. Alex Safari, like you said, defensive back now that they have at linebacker, he came up and made some big plays. And then how about Trevin Wallace, our number five linebacker in the 2021 cycle? He was a late riser out of Georgia, had a pick, played his best game of the season against the Gators per PFF. Uh, Jager Burton up front on that offensive line, opening up uh, opening up the holes for Ray Davis, didn't give up a single pressure in the game. I thought it was notable, Trayvon Wallace and Jager Burton, they're 3-0 and against Florida. 3-0 and in their time at Kentucky against Florida. And Burton was saying after the game, I was reading some some local uh, chatter, you know, reading the local newspapers. He said that Florida is one of their biggest rivals, and uh, it, it it was just a complete complete performance. And to spin it forward even more, I pulled up Kentucky's twenty twenty four recruiting class, ranked twenty seventh right now, and there's a lot of pieces I like there. Jared Smith. Edge Rusher they flipped from Michigan a few weeks ago. Love him. Elijah Groves, linebacker out of the state of Tennessee. I think they battled Purdue for him. I'm surprised more in the SEC aren't after him. Therion Nichols, corner out of Ohio, already in the conversation for a potential spot in the top 247. Antoine Smith, one of the fastest linebackers in the country. I think he's a 439 guy on the Lasers. Uh, and then they're trending on the crystal ball for another top two, four, seven pass rusher in in, in Brian Robinson. to me, we we've brought it up, I think every year on the signing day show that I've done it. Like Kentucky has this formula, And then you saw it Saturday, right? Florida is the more talented team. Now that talent might be a little bit younger, But here's Mark Stoops coaching his guys up. They know who they are. And they get a, a massive win, and now they're going to face Georgia this upcoming weekend. Number one, Georgia, seven p.m. ESPN. I'll be tuned in.
2: Who Georgia fairly looks vulnerable, right? I mean, if you watch that game versus Auburn this weekend, I'm not saying. Listen, I mean, the the good thing about this year for Georgia is there's no elite teams. There's not one team you're pointing at right now that says, you know what, I'm, I'm pretty convicted on them winning the national championship. Same reason two weeks ago I came out here and put my money on a LSU team that gave up 700 yards of total offense to Ole Miss. And the good thing for Georgia, they just got to get better every week. Carson Beck's got to continue to improve. Drew, is there a more underappreciated coach in the country than Mark Stoops? No. I mean, that stat you told me about 3-0 against Florida, what, in the last, in the last three, is that right?
1: Yeah, in the last three, and and I wish I had written down who who wrote the column. But Mark Stoops said after the game as he walked off the field, like it wasn't like they were rushing the field or or anything like that. Like Kentucky fans almost expected it five, six, seven, eight years ago. You know, it's a it's a party, <laughs> and and that's the standard he's created.
2: Okay, before we get to my team of the week, real quick. Flip side of this, what do you take away from Florida?
1: I I didn't know I was going to bring this up, but I think it applies to a lot of the teams where their rosters are solely constructed of kids from the Sunshine State. It's just miscue after miscue, and it's oftentimes avoidable mistakes, pre-snap penalties, procedural penalties. Um, I think Florida is young. Ah, uh, but they you open up the hood, man. there there are some some massive issues. I think the offense is not built to be playing from behind. and <laughs> you know, you get down a few scores, bad turnover. I mean, there's no chance that you're gonna catch back up. It's not built to blow teams out either. I think Graham Mertz has exceeded all expectations. He is not the issue, but I look at DJ lagway, their quarterback commit in the 2024 cycle, who we are big fans of, really big fans of. And I'm like, how does, how does DJ Lagway look at this offense and think, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to succeed in this thing? They got issues up front with the offensive line, not the right pieces in place there.
2: Can I say something real quick? Yeah. Somebody told me the other day, Carl Reed, I think it was, he said, if you got two quarterbacks, it means you don't have one. I feel the same way if you have two position coaches on one unit, you don't have one. Florida's got that that with their offensive line, LSU's got that with their secondary. Just a thought.
1: How many Florida, how many, uh, how many uh, coaches does LSU have in the secondary? They like got multiple. They got
2: two. Yeah, they got a corners coach, Steeples, and then safeties coach Cooks. You oh, know, which just from a recruiting standpoint, too. I mean, it's we had it at Washington. I didn't. I did not like it.
1: Some schools have three. Right. Love so like a Nichols coach.
2: Last thing I'll say on Florida is I feel like they have to be perfect. Right, like they, they like against Tennessee, they got off to a really good start, and then it was like that second half. It was like hold your breath. We're just playing not to lose here. And I feel like the personnel has not matched the way that Billy wants to call it. Does that make sense?
1: You can't bill yourself as a physical team and then get hit in the face.
2: Well, how, how many yards do they give up by halftime on the on the ground? And they were one of the best rushing defenses in the country, I believe, going into that game.
1: Yeah. Well, Kentucky only threw for 69 yards in the win and ran them out of the building.
2: Crazy. All right, team of the week for me, Pac-12. Again, Oregon State, they needed this one. Friday night, Jonathan Smith getting some uh, love from the camera for, for reasons I'll leave out. Oregon State wins 21-7 over Utah. Cam Rising still not back. Yeah, a little bit... I don't. I don't know what's going on there. Nate Johnson, eight of twenty-three for Utah. DJU. You saw a little bit of Aiden Childs in this game, Drew. I don't know if you saw that. DJU, 14, fourteen to twenty-five, one touchdown, one INT.
1: I was at a high school game, but I caught some of it when I got home. I give me the Childs rundown. I, I
2: think we saw it for a possession. That was it. One of one of one, 23 yards. Outside of that, I think took a couple sacks. I love this program, man. I mean, I talked about him the other week when Washington State was my team of the week. Oregon State bounced back, 4-1, and 1-1 one, one and one in conference now. They're a tough out. Silas Bolden, six receptions, 100 yards, one touchdown. Also, two carries, 53, 53 yards, and a tutty as well. So no in-depth recruiting breakdown like Drew had with Kentucky, but long been a fan of Oregon State. Drew, your freshman of the week. How about this guy, Omarion Miller, Colorado, out of the great state of Louisiana, finishes a number 51 receiver in the country, number 15 player in the boot, only had five snaps prior to Saturday. He caught seven passes for 196 yards, a touchdown. Colorado lost 48 to 41 to USC at home, which I would say if you're a Colorado fan, very encouraging coming off a very tough loss to Oregon, right?
1: Yeah, I had the, the Colorado game on the other TV, and you look up and you're like, is that wait, that's O'Marion Miller? I Coop, do you remember much of him last cycle? I I know he I do. He, he he looked good out at the Polynesian bull practices. I remember Blair and and the and the guys that we had in Hawaii highlighted him on on one of the days. I, I can't recall him making a ton of plays in the actual game. Um But you dig into the profile because, you know, that's what I I love to do. Big senior season, basketball kid. It it has been fun to see the overreaction, I think, from the national media on a Marion Miller, like uh, first round pick. It's like, oh, come on, guys. He played five snaps prior to this game. And I think he was in there just based out of necessity. But, man, he – he performed well on the perimeter. I mean, they threw him one football, caught it, spun upfield, I a mean, long stride, what you want in an outside receiver. Um, and he was, he was committed to LSU early on. Not sure what happened there. Then he was committed to Nebraska. Coaching staff changes. And he was one of many wide receivers prime signed out of high school back in the winter.
2: He was just kind of – out there for anybody. That's what what I'm trying to to do. Colorado just scooped him up. You know, He's just one of those kind of like – he went to Nebraska. The receivers coach, who was the interim for Scott Frost, ended up – Mickey Joseph. Mickey Joseph obviously ended up getting into a little off-field trouble there. So all of a sudden, um, Marion Miller's just out there. Colorado kind of scoops him up at the 11th hour. Don't hear anything from him this entire season, almost like Cormani McLean. We'll talk about him in a second. Then all of a sudden, he's got seven receptions for almost 200 yards and and making plays all over the field against USC. The only exposure I had to to him was when he played on the bootleggers team in New Orleans at Pylon 7-on-7 in January of two years ago. And he was just okay. And you turned on the tape, and it was just kind of the same thing. Like, yeah, you like the redeeming qualities. He had some traits, but he was Steady Eddie. He did everything well, but I didn't know if there was one trait that just kind of caught your eye. So I, I, I am interested to kind of go back and look at the PFF tape and, you know, watch the point of attack clips and kind of see where he's at and where he made his bread. But I'm excited speaking, for him.
1: Speaking of the bootleggers, I think that's like. <laughs> Kind of one of the seven-on-seven organizations. You always got to see what what's on the roster when it comes to wide receivers. I mean, Jamar Chase, Terrence Marshall both played for them. Devontae Smith, right? Yeah, they were all on the same team. I mean, you know, you got your high schools you always visit. I think the bootleggers is one a seven-on-seven team you always want on campus.
2: I could be wrong. Trey as green. I think he's one of those guys. Um, maybe I'm wrong. Norrell White. Yep, that's another name to know. All right, freshman of the week for me, Drew. You had him as an honorable mention for you. I mean, I just – his name's been all over this week. Caleb Downs, right? I guess we got to flaunt this guy when we can. I'd feel bad if we didn't have him on there because he had a monster game. Co-SEC freshman of the week against Mississippi State. He had 13 tackles. He had a pick as well. Also had a pass breakup. Seems to me the game is starting to slow down for him. Right, which we didn't think it was going to be long until that happened. Alabama routes Mississippi State in Starkville 40 to 17. Mississippi State only 107 yards passing for Will Rogers. I think this cat is uh, special, Drew. Is that okay, fair to say?
1: Here's my question on Caleb Downs. Right, obviously, you have to wait to turn pro. Do you think if he could enter after two years, he'd be ready to go at the next level? And I know you're not prepared for this question, but we called him one of the safest bets in the 23 cycle, right? Five games in, he has found his bearings.
2: My yeah. answer to that would be no, because yeah. I think the NFL is, is not like... Other sports leagues like the NBA or the MLB, I think these reps are critical and they're important. And the more you play the game, the more you build up this kind of institutional knowledge, right, in this muscle memory. And I think we've already seen that with Caleb Downs uh, so far as a freshman. I mean, you see how far he's come in a quarter of the season now making an impact for Alabama in a big way. You go back to that Texas game, he was kind of a little bit of the vulnerability, right, on the back end that Steve Sarkeesian decided to attack. I think he's only going to get better and better as they come. And I re- think that that same acclimation period that I'm talking about right now in college football is twofold in the NFL from a, from a speed and processing standpoint.
1: Okay, you're in the front office of, I don't know, the Arizona Cardinals, or we'll give you the New Orleans Saints in, in 2025 what's the earliest round you think you could take downs let's say he continues this has an excellent sophomore campaign he can come out day three what's
2: what's the earliest round i could take him
1: yeah or where do you think he would go
2: i'd probably say he wouldn't get out of day two if you're telling me like he's like
1: all it SCC. just depends yeah. what's
2: what well, if you're telling me he he stays three years i'm saying
1: i'm saying which that which, he,
2: which which he will i know i know you're saying the hypothetical of two I'm saying, what would you say he is if he, after three years, if you're saying he's a top 10,
1: one, ultimate,
2: right? Round one, top 10 pick, then yeah, I don't think that guy probably gets by day two. You know, my opinion.
1: You know who else had a a good game and he's not, it's not a true freshman? Amari Nyblack. I think he had three catches, 61 yards, almost had another touchdown. Feeling good about him, tight end. Or some of us, some people told us that Alabama was going to use him as a pass rusher, and I was like, what? you
2: are a lot of things like that. Amari Nyblack, Drew, it, does it? I mean, there's so many names, right, we cycle through. You go back, you look at the ranking. Rank number 99 in the 22 class. There's some of these guys, man, with these senior years, it's all of a sudden it's like, all right, got to get them up. Got to get them up. Because I remember Amari Nyblack kind of being like day three range, right? Finishes in what would be the back end of the of the third round. Drew, other guys you had as standouts this week who got consideration for us, freshman honorable mentions. We'll call it Cormani McLean. Only had what, 14 snaps to his name coming in this week? 48 defensive snaps for Colorado. Made some plays. We saw that. Coach Prime wrote on his Instagram Monday night, proud of you and how you played, referring to Cormani McLean. Now take those earrings out and be on time to everything. Everything all caps. <laughs> I like
1: that. I mean, does that just go does that go back to exactly what we said on last week?
2: To me, it goes back to the analogy of like, hey, you got to dangle the carrot a little bit, right? And I think it got to the point where maybe Cormani McLean showed enough progress to where he earned some PT, has taken that opportunity, run with it, and now it's about doing the little things right as they continue forward
1: the pass breakup he had was nice. I was, I was, I'm like, wait, is that, is that Kermani in there? I think I got negated by a, a penalty, but it was, uh it had a smile on my face, especially after some people had uh written Kermani McLean off six months into his, his college career. Um. All right. You mean to go, you want me to go through these other ones?
2: Yeah. Hold on real quick. Kermani McLean. Was a five-star at 247 Rivals in ESPN. Quick reminder. Uh, Jalen Kilgore. Yeah, the other one, right? Freshman safety. Top 247 South Carolina. 15 tackles. INT pass breakup. South Carolina loses to Tennessee and Knoxville 41-20. to Got 42 stops on the season. Drew, Georgia, 2 way state champion in the long jump. Two-way player, late riser for us. Tennessee was also in the mix there. He's been getting a lot of run, huh?
1: Yeah, we thought Pup Howard was going to be the guy for the Gamecocks, the, the linebacker out of Jacksonville, but he got dinged up in camp. I think Jalen Kilgore has been forced onto the field, maybe because of some injuries, but he certainly earned that playing time. And just going back to, to scouting him, kind of a, a weird recruitment for a kid that was in Georgia. Clemson was a little involved. Oklahoma, you mentioned Tennessee. He had like Tennessee Tech in his top five at at one point before he announced to the to the Gamecocks. But you know, we're we're currently burning through the tape on all these all these 2024s. And Kilgore had a monster senior season. Multi sport athlete, like you said, uh, excellent jumping numbers. Also played basketball. Um, Just kind of one of those reminders where it's like. He checked off so many boxes. Is it surprising that he is he's making plays here as, as a freshman? I think it's a little ahead of schedule, but a guy we certainly liked. And I think Shane Beamer and the Gamecocks have done an excellent job of of finding
2: those type of individuals. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. Let's go. It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time it's every competitor for themselves. The Challenge All Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.
0: CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing citizen of the united states i'm a hustler i'm a big taylor swift fan i'm the queen of the tribe I'm a survivor. i am playing whatever role i gotta play i'm gonna play this game for speed i ain't going down like no punk <laughs> a new survivor wednesday on cbs and streaming
2: on paramount plus all right drew a couple more bullet points before we get out of here you brought up is there a brock bowers out there in the 2024 cycle brock bowers eight catches 157 yards a touchdown and Georgia's twenty-seven to twenty win against Auburn, you know we we talk about this a lot. You go back; I mean, you look at what Brock Bowers has done. Twenty twenty-one as a freshman, fifty-six receptions, eight hundred and eighty-two yards receiving, thirteen touchdowns in his freshman year. Sophomore, sixty-three receptions, nine hundred and forty-two yards, seven touchdowns, fifteen yards per reception. So far as a junior, thirty receptions. Four hundred and thirteen yards, three touchdowns. Drew, I believe you bought a long shot ticket at the yeah. beginning of the year before the season even started. Brock Bowers for Heisman. I think you are clinging on to that thing for your life right now, as you are house shopping. That might be the way to uh, make the down payment, my friend. Uh, I do. I think I'm plus
1: seventy nine hundred, maybe. Um, I thought it. I thought. I thought it was dead. I mean there's no chance he's going to win. But we need we need some more of this Brock. I need like three touchdowns against against Kentucky. No, you're in there, coach. <laughs> I I think this is a great question to talk about because in the 2024 cycle, I would say we like we like a lot of the tight ends. Now, is there a Brock Bowers out there? No. I, I mean, he's kind of one of one. We called Lost Lucky, who Georgia signed last cycle, kind of Brock Bowers Light. You know, the uh the not not full charge version. I think George is excited about him. He's been dinged up, but finally healthy. We could see maybe more of him. So Coop, I who is your kind of tight end that you would think could have a not similar impact, but is a guy we're going to be talking about a few years from now. I know where you're going to go with this, but there are some other tight ends I think we should highlight here in the 2024 cycle.
2: I don't know if there's one guy I look at and say, okay, that's the um, that's like the Brock Bowers comp. I thought Lawson Lucky was pretty clean just in terms of utility, right? Like you look back and you kind of see Lawson Lucky and the way that he was utilized, and you go back and you look at Brock Bowers' the way that he was used at Napa High School. I'm going to throw you for a loop here. The guy to me that has reminded me the most of Bowers as a senior is Gatlin Bear (laughs) going going to Boise State. And the reason I say that, listen, it's not like a clean comp, but you turn on Gatlin Bear's tape as a senior, he's playing outside linebacker, he's playing receiver, he's taking snaps in the backfield. It's almost a mirror image of Brock Bowers. And I know we definitively said that, hey, there's no Brock Bowers in this class. And I think it's kind of, it's not a silly question. Brock Bowers, like you said, he is a generational talent at that position. And a lot of people said that about Kyle Pitts. Now, circumstantial, right? Depending on where you are. Brock Bowers is like the true traditional Y tight end that can do everything. As a pass blocker, as a run blocker, as a guy that is a threat anywhere on the field, excellent run after catch ability as a receiver. But Gatlin Bear with that frame and then, you know, 10-1-8 to his name athletically, not far off. Um, The kid that I love, Andrew, I think this is what you anticipated. The kid that I love that I think is special is Luke Reynolds going to Penn State, and you and I have long been f- been fans of Luke Reynolds. We saw him at the Elite 11, and he kind of he turned our heads a little bit there. We liked the tape going into it. Very clean from a testing standpoint, but on the field, playing in Connecticut, plays quarterback, plays receiver, and now he's playing a little bit of safety and looks supernatural there. He's all over the field. The instincts pop on tape run after catchability, high-point ability, natural hands. Add all that into the fact that he's going to a place that knows a thing or two about tight end development. I love that kid. And the other kid is, you know, we're going to find out at the All-American Bowl, but, like, top 32 talent, Carter Nelson, right? So those would be the three. And I'm going to assume you're probably going to talk a little bit about Michael Smith, too, because I know you're a big fan of him. Well,
1: I think Reynolds is emerging as our favorite tight end in this class right now. As we talk at the start of October, you told me, have you watched Luke Reynolds yet? Have you watched Luke Reynolds yet? And then I finally buzzed it and I was like, whoa. Plain safety, like you said. Now there's only stats available for two games, but he's got like nine tackles and an interception. It's like what? and he is all of six foot four, two hundred and twenty pounds running around as like a single high safety. It's I I know it's Connecticut football. Um you mentioned the testing, you know, four five six, four two nine shuttle, thirty two and a half inch vert. He's just a guy, and Penn State with what they've been able to recruit i'm excited about him being in that offense i think he could potentially get on the field in 2024 you would have aller there singleton i mean he he's a guy i am i'm I'm excited now we need to find a clean comp for him We, we do not have one yet for luke reynolds who as you alluded to absolutely tore up the elite 11 finals um Two other tight ends that, you know, I think are having really, really good seasons and are, are somewhat versatile. How about Elijah Lofton from Bishop Gorman, committed to Miami? Now more of an H back, lacks the ideal size, but he's been playing some running back here. I think it's notable. Like if we had high school fantasy football, he would he would be a very high selection because as soon as Bishop Gorman gets in the red zone, he's been He's been kind of vulturing all the goal line touches, which I think would drive high school football fantasy owners crazy because uh, Bishop Gorman has Michael Cabana, who's headed to Michigan, and then a few other talented guys. But he, he's someone to me that Miami is going to be able to get very, very creative with. And he's been compared in the past to Brevin Jordan, former Bishop Gorman standout who went on to play at Miami now with the Houston Texans. He was selected on day three. I don't I don't really like that comp. I, I I've said it in the past. He reminds me of CJ Donaldson, West Virginia's running back, former high school tight end, uh, who has made that transition. Now, I don't think Elijah Lofton's ever going to be a, a full time running back or anything like that. But I think you could use him, line him up in the backfield. I mean, how many times do you turn on an NFL game and you're seeing, you know, two or three tight ends. On the field, with some of them standing right next to the quarterback, and the Seahawks are doing all that on Monday night. Uh, so he's one, and then and then Michael Smith, who's headed to South Carolina out of Calvary Day in Savannah. Jake Merkelinger's top target, um, his senior cut gets me gets me fired up, and we saw him at the Under Armour camp in Atlanta. I think his ability to create separation at the top of his routes certainly certainly stands out. And he's really improved as a an attached blocker here as a senior. So those are some of the guys I like in this in this tight end group. And there's more. I mean, we're just naming a few.
2: Pro comp for Elijah Lofton, even though this guy doesn't play anymore. This name just popped into my head. Delaney Walker. Remember him? Tennessee Titans, San Francisco 49ers. I went back. I, I went double-checked the specs on him. 6'2", 248 pounds. Elijah Lofton, 6'2", 220. I, I doubt he's 220 pounds. He's probably closer to 230, I would have had to bet. I love the way Gorman is kind of using him too. You see him in goal line packages in the backfield. He plays a little bit of running back. I talked to the big man about him yesterday down in Miami. He loves some Elijah Lofton. They're very excited about him. So love that one. Drew, the other guy that I'm uh, – I'm excited to turn on the tape that I have not watched. There's been a ton of positive feedback on Trey Green. Brought his name up a little bit earlier in the show. He's committed to LSU basketball background, Six six and a half, 240 pounds, gargantuan. You think about him potentially playing with Kamari and Pimpton. Talk about a goal line advantage there. Also, Jamie Trimble, the brother of Tommy Trimble for the Carolina Panthers, former Notre Dame standout as well. He's committed to Syracuse fascinating one there I'm, I'm excited to kind of turn on the tape and see what we got there our drew last one let's talk a little bit of usc you know the, the question was asked can usc win a national championship with this defense i'm going to say definitively no um watching that performance against colorado even before that i kind of felt that way but at what point does Lincoln Riley, whether it's making a change at the defense coordinator position, whether it's just completely investing in what they do defensively, say, hey, we just got to – and it's not like they haven't invested, right? I mean, you've seen some young guys come on, Demonte Jackson, Sierra Wright, Kalen Bullock. They have some pieces in the secondary. Tackett Curtis at the second level. Bear Alexander comes over in the transfer portal. Same with Anthony Lucas they got some pieces drew the, the thing for me that kind of stood out when you asked the question how do you fix it you look at the state of california let me let me double check this and get this right the top 20 players in the state of california how many of them do you think are committed to usc
1: eight
2: three and only one of them is a defensive prospect, and that is Marcellus Williams. Number one player in the state of California, Aiden Breeland. Top not three USC, Georgia, Miami, Oregon. Xavier Brown, committed to Alabama. Marcellus Williams, we brought him up. Aaron Butler, athlete, two-way, committed to Colorado. Kingston, Viliamu Asa guy that Andrew you really like as a senior so do I. I watched yesterday really good football player he's going to Notre Dame Jericho Johnson uncommitted seems like Oregon's in a great spot there Dakota Fields Oregon Peyton Woodyard Alabama Kamar Mathudi Oregon 15 commits for USC this cycle ranked inside the top 15 I know they're going to leave lean heavy on the transfer portal, and they should. But this like goes back to Oklahoma for Lincoln Riley, I feel like. And it's just one of those things, like, geographically, when you have those guys like Aiden Breeland, Kingston Viliamu Asa, Dakota Fields, in California, they can't leave the footprint. It just can't happen. Those guys, especially when you're hurting defensively, they come through you. You want to get USC back to national prominence? It's not going to be through just a Caleb Williams high-powered offense. It's not going to be through Malachi Nelson or Julian Lewis. As much as the game has trended in that direction, you still got to play defense at some point. And I don't know about you, Drew. I think I've seen enough of the Alex Grinch experiment. You know, there's enough talent there to at least be respectable. I just hate that brand of football. That's just a personal thing. I, you know, especially if you're going like you and I Drew in the next week are going to, you know, I know we had this assignment, right? We got to pick pick a national title contender. Or who's going to win the national championship a quarter away through the season? You know what I looked at? Let's look at all major categories. Who's the best in terms of getting off the field on third down? Who's the best at converting at third down? Turnover, efficiency, running the football, passing the football, stopping the run, stopping the pass. To me, you look at all those major categories and you get an idea of a little bit of a snapshot. All right, who can actually win it? And you know the team out of the pack that I went with? Oregon.
1: Because they've loaded up on the defensive side of the ball?
2: And USC is just so top-heavy to one side.
1: I think when I when I wrote this down for, for the rundown, you, you peek at USC's number 18 ranked class, and I just don't see any immediate help on the way. None. Cameron Fountain, edge rusher they've gotten out of Georgia. We like – the idea of him, I think the senior tape has been a little underwhelming. He's a guy that's going to need some time. They go up to Connecticut, get Elijah Newby, freak type of linebacker, six seven in the long jump, playing a lot of receiver. I think he's two, three years away. So I, I, I bring this up because it's like, how do they fix it? I mean, They're going to have to go back into the transfer portal heavy, heavy.
2: Do you think they've made it a priority?
1: Well, when you look at the commit list, it seems like they're almost kind of going through the motions there on that side of the ball. And now I know they have brought in some, some guys we like for official visits. Chris Cole came in that first week in a September linebacker out of Virginia, committed to Georgia. Uh, Marquise Lightfoot out of Chicago came in in June, committed to Miami. I buzzed him last night. he he had missed some games due to an injury I love that cat's first step he would get me excited about him being at USC uh who else did they have there was another guy on here that Kingston as you mentioned um yeah Darian Mayo out of the DMV six seven pass rusher I think he's had a good senior year. It just – it feels like, Cooper, what, we are nine weeks away from the early signing period? Like, there's not even big defensive targets out there that they're going to go get. So it's just going to turn to, hey, we're going to get the best guys out of the transfer portal on the defensive side of the ball.
2: One way to do it, I guess. You know, I mean, it's just – I don't know. For USC, I still feel like, hey, they're going to have to put up 56 points on whoever they have to – whoever they're playing, Right. And I think that margin of error shrinks a lot once you get into a, a different caliber opponent. We talked about it. I mean, I would have them third in the Pac-12. I think Oregon and Washington, we're going to find out here in two weeks. And then USC, just defensively, I think they're, they're too vulnerable there, right? At least from a national contending standpoint. So, Drew, that's all I got, brother. Anything else from you?
1: What about, uh, real quickly, Auburn, Hugh Freeze. I don't know how much of that game you you watched. I thought that was an impressive effort in front of a, a lot of big-time recruits. K.J. Bolden was there. Um, Amir Jackson, Florida commit was there. Quite a few guys.
2: Auburn, to me, has got some, like, sneaky momentum just in, in everything on the field a little bit, I think this is what they needed. They didn't need to go light it up. They didn't have to go win eight, nine games. But if you can get if you can get to a postseason game this season, create a little bit of momentum, I think they got the wind on their back and the recruiting trail too. I really like what they've done. You know, they got to get the quarterback position figured out, but you freeze very good play caller. Right to be competitive in that game with Peyton Thorne and Robbie Ashford says a lot more about Auburn. So I, I, I kinda I, up arrow on that program right now. It's kind of the way I'm feeling.
1: So I came out of Thursday night, you know, that high school game on on ESPN, Clay Chalkville versus Thompson, Jalen M. five star athlete for us, who's committed to the Crimson tide. Auburn has been involved in that recruitment and the projection for Jalen is defensive back corner maybe slot i think if i'm auburn i'm telling this kid hey come here and be a slot receiver i think i think he could unlock some things for them like i think that is kind of what auburn is missing and as soon as they get those type of playmakers it, it it's going to change the program. Auburn hasn't had a thousand yard receiver since 1999.
2: I like the fact they're continuing to recruit these guys regardless of where they're committed, especially if they're committed to another team in state. We have not seen that. We did not see that from Brian Harson. I like that from them. You know, it, it kind of shows me like all right, there's a little bit of a mentality shift in that program.
0: Speaking of that game, did you see the big man two-point conversion from Jaquan McRoy as he stutter-stepped and juked out a couple of Thompson defenders?
1: Of course I did, Lance. He was on the freaks list. Got my notification right away. Size 18 shoes, stumbling and rumbling in there.
0: Impressive. you think Dan Lanning is salivating over the possibility of uh, a little bit of an offensive lineman throwback when he gets to Oregon? (laughs)
1: I think Dan Lanning's like, man, we got a major project on our way.
0: (laughs) He's a big dude. Let me tell you, I just, just seeing him on TV, he like, he's, you could tell how big or how much bigger he is than everyone else just by looking at him on the screen that I was watching on. He's huge. I think that's all I got today, boys.
1: All right. Well, let's end here. So you, you gave out LSU as your national title ticket. Ugh. Who who are you going to sink?
2: I think we case? should start a segment called "Not So Team of the Week." <laughs> LSU would be my not-so team of the week. Um,
0: well, as of today, be-
2: I, I think it would be hard to be hard to pick against Michigan. But if I wasn't going with Michigan, I'd probably go with Oregon.
1: I'm pulling up the favorites right now. I don't.
0: I think if Notre Dame didn't just mentally destroy themselves against Ohio State, I think it'd be really tough to pick against Notre Dame. Too. I still think well, I, I still think Notre Dame's got a good chance of winning out and getting in. I also think Texas, it's really hard to pick against Texas right now.
1: No, no love for Penn State?
0: No, I think Penn State's a year away. I've said from the get-go, Penn State's year is 2024, not this year.
1: When Luke Reynolds is in the lineup at tight end?
0: And when J.J. McCarthy is gone, and when Blake Corman, Donovan Edwards are gone. Next year is the year for Penn State.
2: I just wonder with Michigan, if you shut down the run, put it all on JJ McCarthy's shoulders, which he's really not the question. Is Michigan good enough on the perimeter to beat you if they're going up against a team like Georgia, Oregon, who I really like defensively with guys like Kyrie Jackson and Dante Manning? It's kind of I, my question there.
1: Samaj Morgan. Getting some run, true freshman receiver for Michigan. Should have had him on the uh, on the honorable mentions. I'm
2: well, gonna we give you dub some love too. I mean that that game, not this week, but the weekend after. I mean that that one's going to be honestly probably the game of the year so far. I'm excited for that in Seattle, twelve thirty. Gonna be fun. All right, boys, that's all I got. Drew, unless you had a not-so-team-of-the-week, do you have a not-so-team-of-the-week? UCF, man.
1: Blowing a 35-7 to lead.
2: I didn't think Orlando was going to make it out of Orlando, next thing you know.
1: That that was an epic meltdown.
2: Lance, can we get
0: graphics for not-so-team-of-the-weeks? No. LSU in Central Florida. (laughs) Not-so-team-of-the-week. I don't know how much the higher-ups would like uh, us posting on our Twitter bashing a couple times. That's all right. You're out, man. That's your going away present. You need to do it one time. <laughs> I'm going to burn all the bridges I can before I leave. That's the goal. There you go.
2: Guys, make sure to subscribe to the podcast, the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast, wherever you find your podcast Spotify, Apple included. Tomorrow is Mailbag Wednesday. If you have a question, make sure to leave them in the review that is the place to do it also you can do it on twitter you can fire one off at me or Andrew or Lance whatever we'll try to get it on the show guys we appreciate you listening as always for producer Lance Glenn director of scouting Andrew Ivins I'm Cooper Batagna have a wonderful Tuesday
0: and we'll see you tomorrow